Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the members here, and it's my privilege to preach this morning and to open up our Advent series. Uh, so before we begin, let's, um, let's just go to God one more time in prayer. Father, we thank you uh, once again for this morning and for your presence with us. Uh, God, as we open your word this morning, we pray that you would um, speak to us through it, God. I pray that you would just fill me with your spirit, uh, give me listening ears, uh, and that you would um, just speak to all of us this morning the message that you want for us to hear. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, when I was about 13 years old, uh, there was one thing that I wanted more than anything else in the world. And that, no, not a girlfriend. <laughs> yet. It was an electric guitar. An electric guitar. Um, I had been learning how to play guitar on a little nylon string acoustic for about a year. Um, but I was ready to graduate. I was, I was ready to like get up to the big leagues and rock. And um, so around that, uh, uh, like a couple of weeks before my 13th birthday, I found out through like a friend of a friend had won an electric guitar in some kind of a raffle from Costco. And so they didn't play, thankfully for me, so they were going to sell this guitar for 100 bucks. Now I didn't have 100 bucks, I was 13, but I had a birthday coming up and I knew I was gonna be getting some money from my relatives. So I asked my parents if I could borrow enough money to get this guitar and uh, a little used amplifier to go with it. And they said yes, but on one condition, um, that I could not touch this guitar until my actual 13th birthday. And so we went, and sure enough, we picked up this guitar. I actually brought it with me this morning. Here it is. It's a Samick, which is a, a little Korean knockoff of a Fender Strat, cheap little guitar, but it was perfect for me. So we brought it home, and uh, it went into my parents' walk-in closet in their bedroom. And it sat there for the next two weeks. And I was a rule follower back then, just as I am today. <laughs> so I did not touch this guitar. But every day for two weeks, I would go into my parents' closet. I would sit down on the floor, and I would stare at this guitar for an embarrassingly long amount of time. <laughs> I would stare at the red sparkly paint job. I would stare at the white, now yellow, uh, pickups. I would stare at the maple neck and the frets. I would stare at the headstock and the way that Samick was written on it. Uh, I would debate in my head what I was going to play first on this guitar. I would imagine how it would sound coming out of the amplifier with the full distortion on. And I would think about how much cooler I was going to be with this guitar. It didn't work. I, uh, I share that to highlight for us the difference between wanting and longing. See, I longed for this guitar. And there's a difference between wanting and longing. When you long for something, it involves two things. First, longing involves eager waiting. Um, when you long for something, there's no instant gratification. You can't just go out and buy it. You can't download it. You can't have Amazon deliver it to your door. You have to wait. Uh, sometimes you have to wait for a long time. Sometimes you're not sure if it will ever come. And then second, longing involves waiting for something meaningful. Uh, there's a belief that whatever this is that you're longing for, it's going to change your life in some way, that you're going to be different 
on the other side of it, that there was going to be, this is how you were before, and this is how you are now. So for me, with the, the guitar, there was an expectation that I was going to emerge on the other side of this as a musician, as somebody who could play in a band, as somebody who was going to be cool. Again, it didn't work. <laughs> but we are all, uh, we're all longing for things. Uh, we all know what longing feels like. As I look around the room, I, I just think there are people here who are longing for a new job. You know, you, you're waiting for the right opportunity to come along where you can feel more, more uh, used in your skills. You can feel more fulfilled in your job. You can feel uh, like you're more appreciated by your boss and, and make more money. There's some of you who are longing for healing. Um, you're longing for physical or emotional healing. You've got you know, a physical condition or an illness or you've been through something and you, you long to be on the other side of that feeling whole and restored. Some of you are longing for a relationship. You're waiting for the right person to come along. Some of you are longing for a child uh, or for a home or to be done with school. Uh, but whatever it is, longing is a part of life and we all know what it feels like to, to wait and to hope and to anticipate and to, to long for something. And so as Nick mentioned so far uh, earlier today, Advent, uh, which begins this morning, is a season of longing. Uh, it's a time of year when we channel these longings that we feel and we direct them towards Jesus. And we join with people, Christians around the world and throughout history uh, and we, we join them in this feeling of longing for the light of Jesus and the light of salvation to come to a dark world. And that's why we've titled this Advent series, uh, Dawn. It's all about longing for the light to break into the darkness. So part of what we do during Advent is to, is to put ourselves into the place of, of people before the coming of Christ, before the first coming of Christ. And we read these stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we put ourselves in their shoes, and we long with them as, as they recognize the need for a Savior. And that's part of what we're going to be doing uh, this morning as we talk about the theme of night. Um, but during Advent, we also, as people who live on this side of the incarnation, uh, who know that Jesus has come, we long for more of the light of his kingdom to break into our dark world. And that's what we're going to be looking at next week. And then lastly, during Advent, uh, we long for the second coming of Jesus, the second advent, when he will come in the fullness of his glory and the brilliance of his light, and it will be on full display for everyone to see. And that's what we're going to look at a couple of weeks from now. Uh, but this morning, we're going to look at the, the, the dawn or the, the night that comes before the dawn. Uh, and specifically this morning, I want to help us set the tone for uh, this season. I want to help us to get into a posture of, of longing for Jesus. Um, as we know, this next month is going to fly by. Uh, it always does. So you think about the, these 25 days of December. There are so many parties to attend and gifts to buy and to wrap and lights to hang up and traditions to do and Santas to see and all of that stuff. There's so many visit. What? Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> Saxon was going to make some funny comment there. Um, where was I? He was going to. Yeah, he didn't succeed. He threw me off. There's so many things to do, so many things competing for our time and attention this season that, uh, like Saxon, <laughs> that sometimes we can, we can hit Christmas and we realize that we haven't 
spent enough time longing the way that we wanted to. You know, you can hit Christmas, and, and we recognize that Jesus is the reason for the season, uh, but that we haven't postured our hearts in this, in this spirit of longing along the way. And so part of what I want to do this morning is just help us to, to long. And to do that, we're going to look at the story of a guy named uh, Zechariah. He's a guy who knew quite a bit about longing. Um, so Zechariah, he's the first person to appear in the New Testament storyline. There's, there's 400 years of silence between the close of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament. And as the New Testament opens, Zechariah is the first person to show up on the scene. And we're introduced to him in, uh, in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 1. And there we read that Zechariah is a priest uh, of God and that he and his wife Elizabeth uh, are both faithful followers of God. Um, they walk closely with him. They follow the law. But they have a longing and the longing is that they do not have a child of their own. Um, they were never able to conceive. And uh, they're both very old, um, so they're past the age of, of being able to have a child. And for them in that culture at that time, this was a source of, of shame and disgrace and sadness for them. Um, but beyond their longing for a child, Zechariah has a deeper longing in his heart, and it's a longing for the deliverance of God's people. See, God's people were living in, in a time of deep darkness and night. And here I'm going to jump back a little bit and provide some context about what was going on at that time. You see, if you've, if you've been with us for a while, you'll remember that a few months ago we went through the book of Nehemiah together. Uh, and in Nehemiah, the story opens up that God's people have been taken into exile and captivity in Babylon. Uh, God has allowed them to come into captivity because of their centuries and centuries of rebellion and disobedience and sin against him. And as Ezra and Nehemiah open, God is allowing the people to come back to Jerusalem, and he allows them to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls around the city. And they, they rediscover the word of God and the law of God, and they experience a revival and yet, as we saw in that series, at the, at the end of the book, there's an indication that they are, again, turning back to their old ways. And so, as the Old Testament comes to a close, the very last prophetic book of the Old Testament in Malachi, God is giving his people a warning, again, about falling away from him, about turning to idols and not following God. And that's where the Old Testament ends. And then over the next 400 years, God's people, they, they begin this long descent into darkness. Um, they're conquered and oppressed by a string of empires and rulers, uh, beginning with Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire in 330 B.C. Point at Nick. Um, and, and then they encounter one of the, the lowest points in their history in 168 B.C. when this Greek tyrant named um, Antiochus Epiphanes comes into the temple and he, he puts up this statue to the Greek god Zeus, and he slaughters a pig on the altar of God and desecrates the temple. It's this low, low point uh, for God's people. And a few years later, the, the, the Jewish people, they rebel, and they reclaim the temple, and they rededicate it, and that's part of what is celebrated at Hanukkah. Um, but again, after a few years, they begin their descent back further and further into darkness, and the Roman Empire takes over. And, and as the New Testament comes to a beginning, uh, the Roman Empire is ruling over Israel, and the Jewish people are oppressed, and they're taxed heavily, and they're governed by this wicked, egomaniac king named Herod. And instead of living under the rule and the reign of God, they are living in an empire where the motto is Caesar 
is Lord. And yet, for faithful followers of God like Zechariah, they live with a hope that God hasn't forgotten about them. See, they cling to the promises that God has made throughout the Old Testament that he is not finished, that he is going to do something to restore them. And they point back to the promise that God made to Abraham, that one day he would, his descendants would become a great nation and that through that nation, all the nations of the world would be blessed. They haven't seen that happen yet, but they live with the hope of that. They think of the, the promises that God made to David, that one day he would have a descendant who would sit on the throne and that his kingdom would endure forever. And they haven't seen that happen yet, but they live in the hope of that. And they think of the promises that God made to the prophets, that he was going to send a Messiah who would come and bring peace and forgiveness of sins and blessing to the world. And they haven't seen that happen yet, but they live in the hope of it. And as at, the, at the very end of the Old Testament, the final uh, couple chapters of the Old Testament, God makes a promise in Malachi that he is going to send another prophet, like Elijah, who will prepare the way of the Lord and turn the hearts of their fathers to their children. They haven't seen it happen yet, but they live in the hope of that. So all of that is the backdrop for Zechariah. He is part of a people who are living in darkness and longing for deliverance. Uh, And as we meet Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, he's serving at the temple in Jerusalem. He's one of about 8,000 priests, and they're broken up into 24 divisions. Each division has about 300 priests in it, and every day there is a lottery to determine which of them get to go into the holy place and burn incense before God. Um, And on this particular day, as Luke opens up, it is Zachariah's turn to do that. He is selected in this lottery. And as we look at Luke chapter 1, verse 12, we'll see that Zechariah goes into the temple and he's shocked to meet an angel. It says in verse 12, when Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and overcome with fear. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Now what prayers? I believe it's the prayers for a child and the prayers for the deliverance of Israel. Because the angel next says, your wife Elizabeth will give birth to your son and you must name him John. John meant God has been gracious. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many people will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the Lord's eyes. And the angel says that he will be set apart as God's servant. He must not drink wine and liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will bring many Israelites back to the Lord their God, He will go forth before the Lord. Now listen to this part. It should sound familiar. Equipped with the spirit and power of Elijah, he will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children, and he will turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Have you guys ever been to a a restaurant where there's a long wait and they give you one of the little buzzer things? And, and you get the buzzer, and you go off, and you find a bench somewhere, and you, you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wonder if they're ever going to buzz you. And then finally, the buzzer goes off, and you're all like startled, and everyone's excited that it's time to go sit down at the table. This, what the angel says here is like a buzzer going off in Zachariah's hands. These words would have sounded very familiar to him. It was an indication. The angel is essentially saying to him, Zachariah, you know this story that has been on hold. You know these promises that have been on hold for 400 years? It's time for them to start back up again. 
Zechariah, he is, uh, he's startled and surprised by all this, as you might, under, as you might uh, expect. He has a hard time believing it. And so in verse 18, it says, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? My wife and I are very old. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news to you. Know this, what I have spoken will come true at the proper time. But because you didn't believe, you will remain silent, unable to speak until the day when these things happen. And so Zechariah, he emerges from the temple and he's unable to speak. God has taken his voice from him. And I think God did this for a few reasons. Number one, it's a consequence for his lack of belief. Uh, number two, it's, um, it's a way of, of confirming to him through a miraculous sign that this is indeed the Lord's doing. But number three, I think God takes his voice away and forces him to live in silence for nine months so that he has a lot of time to pray and to think and to meditate and to long about what this all means, uh, what God is going to do through John. And so Zechariah, he goes home to Elizabeth, and sure enough, she conceives a son, and they're both shocked and surprised, and they rejoice over this. And about six months into the pregnancy, they get a surprise knock at the door, and it's Elizabeth's young cousin, a little girl named, well, teenage girl named Mary. And Mary, it soon becomes clear, has had a, a similar experience with an angel, uh, only in her case, the angel has told her that she is going to bear the Son of God, not just a, a prophet of God. Uh, Mary is a young virgin. Elizabeth is an elderly woman, but they are both together marveling at what God is doing. And you can imagine Zechariah behind the scenes of all of this, observing in silence, seeing these women and praying over them and wondering what, is, what God is doing through them, wondering what is going to become of these two children who are in their womb. And he's thinking, and he's meditating, and he's praying, and he's longing. And finally, the time comes for his son to be born. And we'll pick the story back up in verse 57 of Luke chapter 1. It says, When the time came for Elizabeth to have her child, she gave birth to a boy. Her neighbors and relatives celebrated with her because they had heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. On the eighth day, it came time to circumcise the child. They wanted to name him Zechariah because that was his father's name. But his mother replied, no, his name will be John. And they said to her, none of your relatives have that name. Then they began gesturing to his father to see what he wanted to call him. And it appears that Zechariah, both his voice and his hearing had been taken from him because they're doing hand motions and sign language to him to try and get him to understand what's going on. And they think that his name should be Zechariah Jr. That's that's how things were done in that culture. Uh, and so they can't understand why Elizabeth would be dishonoring her husband this way and giving him this random name of, of John. And so Zechariah, he asks for a tablet. It's a, a wooden tablet that would have been coated with wax. He takes it and he etches into it the words, his name is John. And all of a sudden, his voice is restored to him. The Holy Spirit fills him and all of these thoughts and meditations and prayers and longings that he has been experiencing over the last nine months come pouring out of him in this hymn that we're going to read uh, in verses 68 through 79. And I believe as we, as we turn to this hymn that there are some things in here that we can learn about how to long during Advent. So let's pick up in, in verse uh, 67. It says, John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and prophesied, Bless the Lord God of Israel, 
because he has come to help. Some translations say he has visited and has delivered his people. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in his servant David's house, just as he said through the mouths of his holy prophets long ago. He has brought salvation from our enemies and from the power of all those who hate us. He has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant, the solemn pledge that he made to our ancestor Abraham. He has granted that we would be rescued from the power of our enemies so that we could serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in God's eyes for as long as we live. And then he turns to John and says, you child will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. You will tell his people how to be saved through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's deep compassion, some translations say because of our God's tender mercies, the dawn from heaven will break upon us to give light to those who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide us on the path of peace. And as we look at this, this hymn and the time that we have remaining, I, I think we're going to see three elements that can help us to long during Advent. The first thing that, that I want to point out is that Zechariah in this hymn acknowledges the darkness of the world apart from Christ. Uh, in verse 79, he pulls a, a phrase from the Old Testament that says that the people are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. And we notice there that he says that they're sitting in darkness, um, they're not walking in darkness. They're not trying to find their way in darkness. There's a sense that they're stuck, uh, that they can't move forward, that they've, they've given up hope. They're surrounded by darkness. What is the darkness that they're surrounded by? Well, first, it's the enemies who oppress and, and persecute them. It's the Roman Empire. It's all the empires that have come before that. Verses 71 and 74 speak of, of enemies and of the power of those who hate us and the hand of our enemies. As we saw earlier, God's people have faced persecution and violent opposition for hundreds of years, and Zechariah longs for deliverance from these enemies. But in addition to the, the external darkness, Zechariah also acknowledges that there's an internal darkness. In verses 75 and, and 77, there's this implicit acknowledgement there that God's people are stuck in their sins, that they aren't able to be the holy and righteous people that God wants for them to be and has called them to be. So there's, a, there's an understanding that the evil isn't just out there, it's, it's in here as well. And that's for us where our longings have to start at Advent. Uh, we start by, by acknowledging both the external darkness of our world and the internal darkness of our own hearts. And that apart from Jesus, we too are people who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. Uh, Fleming Rutledge, an author, writes that uh, Advent begins in the dark. Advent begins in the dark. And she says that more than any other season, Advent forces us to look at what is wrong with the world. Unlike Zechariah, we don't live under the oppression of the Roman Empire, but we know that we have an enemy. We know that there are dark forces in this world. Uh, we know that this world is not the way that God intends it to be. And as we look around, we see that there is injustice in our world, that there's political corruption, that there's violence and drug addiction and sexual abuse and poverty and suffering and disease and grief. And so for us, that's where Advent has to start, with our eyes open to all of these things. Uh, Advent begins in the dark. Um, 
And it's important that this is our starting place, that we don't just jump straight to it's the most wonderful time of the year uh, or even joy to the world, but that we start with, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile. We start by acknowledging that our world is broken and that because of our own brokenness in our hearts, that there's nothing that we can do to fix it on our own, that we're stuck, that we're hopeless, and that we're in desperate need of, of a Savior to come. And that's the second thing that we see in Zechariah's hymn. Um, Zechariah, after acknowledging the darkness of our world, he anticipates and he celebrates what God is going to do through the coming of the promised Messiah. And in the midst of this darkness, verse 78 says that God is sending the dawn from heaven to break upon us, to give light to those who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death and to, and to guide them onto the path of peace. No longer will God's people be stuck, immobilized by fear and darkness. They will be put onto the path of peace. And Zechariah, in this passage, he points to two different types of peace. First, there is a peace from those external forces of darkness. We read that through the Savior that God has come to help, that he has visited his people, that he has delivered his people, that he has raised up a mighty Savior, that he has brought salvation from their enemies, and that he has rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But we also see a promise in here of, of peace from the internal darkness as well. And Zechariah prophesies about the coming salvation through the forgiveness of sins. He says that God is going to make his sinful people holy and righteous before him, that he's going to fix the problem that has been at the root of all of their other problems going back centuries, their sin, their disobedience, and their rebellion that he's going to bring forgiveness and, and, and justification and righteousness. And he's going to fill them with a new heart and make a new covenant with them to allow them to walk in his ways. And so for us during Advent, that too is what we long for. We long for the light of salvation to come to our dark world. Um, earlier this year, I was down at uh, Drip with a few guys for a, a book club when all of a sudden there was like an explosion of a transformer and everything went dark. All the street lights went dark, all the, all the traffic lights went dark, it was just pitch black in Fullerton. And so I walked home, I, I live like five minutes away, and uh, found my girls and my wife just huddled up on the bed, pitch black in our house, uh, we didn't have any lanterns or light bulb or, you know, flashlights with, with uh, batteries working, and, uh, and the internet was out too, so uh, everyone is just feeling totally helpless and scared and missing direction. And, uh, you know, we take it for granted in our world today that you could just flip on a switch and the light comes. Um, and it's in, moment li in moments like those, when the light is out, when the power is gone, that you realize just how desperate we are for the light. And so that is what we do at Advent time. We recognize just how dark of a world we're living in, but we celebrate the fact that God has sent a light in Jesus. And during Advent, we say, Jesus, you are the only one who can bring light to the darkness of our world, the only one who can bring light to the darkness that's out there and in here. We can't fix the problems of our world through our technological advances. We can't fix them through our political activity. We can't fix them through our hard work or our self-help or self-improvement. We need Jesus. We're desperate for him to bring salvation. And that, that leads us to the, the third element of Zechariah's hymn, and that's a confidence in who God is. Zechariah sees the darkness, he longs for the light, but all of that for him is grounded in a confidence of 
who God is, that God is faithful to his promises and that God is merciful to his people. And again and again in this hymn, we see that. God is faithful to his promises from the past and he is merciful to his people today. In other words, because of what God has promised and said in the past, because of what he has revealed about his character and who he is in the present, uh, we can have hope for what God is going to do in the future. And I love the way that uh, that N.T. Wright describes this aspect of the passage. He he says a lot better than I could, so I'm just going to read what he has to say. He says, this is a poem about God acting at last, finally doing what he promised many centuries ago and doing it at a time when his people had had their fill of hatred and oppression. We can feel in Zechariah's words the long years of pain and sorrow, of darkness and death overshadowing Zechariah's mind. But we can also feel the long years of quiet prayer and trust. God had made a covenant with Abraham. God had promised to send a new David. God had spoken of a prophet who would go ahead and prepare the way. Zechariah had known, believed, and longed for all these things, and now they were all coming true. Zechariah emphasizes that God has been faithful to his promises. He's a God who does what he says he will do. Uh, A couple months ago, I was sitting on a Saturday morning with a couple of guys from the church, and we were just kind of geeking out about the Bible. Um, We were walking through the Bible storyline. One of the guys is a, a newer believer and just wanted a better understanding of what the Bible is all about. And so we were walking through the Old Testament and covering a lot of these same stories that Zechariah references here, Abraham and Moses and the law and David and the prophets. And when we finally reached Jesus, it was like this wave of, of just awe and worship descended on me. I was, you know, I've been a Christian for over 30 years, and, um, but every time I return to these, these promises and stories and, and really saturate my mind with them, I find that God just has a way of of blowing my mind at how faithful and good he is. And God builds our faith when we meditate on his faithfulness. Um, So this Advent time, one of the things that we can do as we long is to take some time to meditate on his faithfulness. Zechariah had nine months of silence to meditate on the faithfulness and the promises of God. And what emerges from him is this incredible hymn of praise. So this Advent season, let's take time to meditate on who God is. One just real practical way that you can do this this season, we're at the beginning of December, is to get your, get your hands on just a quality Advent devotional. Um, Megan and I, there's, there's one that we have called Behold the Lamb of God that we've gone through a handful of times during our marriage where every day it just takes you through a retelling of a passage from the Old Testament and points the way to Jesus. And by the time you've reached the end of it, you're just amazed at all the ways that, that God has been telling this story of the coming of the Savior from the very beginning. Even the Jesus Storybook Bible does a really impressive job of weaving together the promises and the way that the story points to Jesus. So make time in your, in your life, in your days, to meditate on the faithfulness and the promises of God this Advent season. Another practical thing that you can do this season is to just make space to allow the, these beautiful hymns that Nick mentioned earlier of Christmas to wash over you. There are so many just incredible hymns uh, of Christmas time. It's just theologically rich. Um, so make time in your, in your days for that. One thing that, again, we do every year is to go out. There's a, a church out in Pasadena that puts on a, a free performance of Handel's Messiah. 
And if you've never experienced that before, it, it's uh, this incredible work of art that takes the great promises and passages of, of Scripture and puts them to just incredible music. And every year I just find myself weeping at, at the glory of God and what He has done in sending Jesus as the fulfillment of these promises. So whatever you do this Advent season, I encourage you um, to long. Make space for active, intentional longing. Be, be like me, 13-year-old me, longing for that guitar. <laughs> Make space in your day to focus on who God is. Acknowledge the darkness of our world. Uh, acknowledge our need for a Savior and reflect on the goodness and the faithfulness and the mercy of God in sending His Son. Uh, band, you can come up. Um, as I've been thinking um, this week about this, this theme of, of night, I've just been reminded that this has been a, a very dark year for a lot of people that I'm close to. Um, I've got family members and friends who have gone through just incredibly dark things um, this year. Um, health issues and, and severe anxiety, um, death of loved ones and, and broken relationships. And as we prayed earlier this morning, just this week, we experienced just the incredible darkness of of this wonderful couple in our life group, the Harrisons, losing this child at just 23 weeks along. And, um, you know, Nick and Karen and, and Megan and I, uh, this week on Wednesday, had the opportunity to go and visit them in the hospital as we just wept over this baby and as we prayed over them. And, and in the midst of a darkness like that, there's not a whole lot that you can say, you know, other than to say I'm sorry and that the world is not supposed to be this way. Um, but as we prayed over them and as Nick actually prayed a portion of this passage, part of what we turned our hope to was that we serve a God who goes by the name Emmanuel, uh, God with us, and that the God of the universe stepped down into the form of a vulnerable little baby um, because of his tender mercy and his great love for us. And as we prayed over them, they expressed just a faithfulness, not having the answers, not understanding why this happened, um, but being able to know that God, whatever comes in the days ahead, is faithful to them. And so uh, this Advent season, as we acknowledge the darkness, uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have stepped down into our world. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are merciful and that it's because of your tender mercies that you left the glories of heaven and that you stepped down to visit us who were sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. You came to bring your light. God, you came on to take on the, the powers and the forces of darkness. You came to defeat sin and death you came to liberate us from our sin and set us free. You came to welcome us into your family, to take us from the kingdom of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of light. And God, we pray that this Advent season that you uh, would be with us as we long for you and we celebrate what you have done and what you will do. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen.